You are listening to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast. Hello and welcome to Arrive by The Cycling Podcast. We're going to be recapping the Women's World Championship road race. Glasgow served up another cracker just as it did a week ago. Well, we've got to give the riders some credit, I guess. They're the ones that make the race rather than the course. My name is Lionel Burney and with the A-team out of action, unavailable for selection today, uh, I've called on Denny Gray, fresh from the Tour de France fam, an excellent addition to our coverage over there in France. And, well, I don't want to imply that you're uh, being called up from the reserves, Denny, but I'm certainly being called up from the reserves to recap the women's road race at the Worlds. And we've just watched it, haven't we? And what a humdinger it was. Yeah, no, thanks, Lionel. I think we were trying to work out whether we were the D team or the E team beforehand, weren't we? But anyway, whatever (laughs) we are, we're here. It was a cracking race. I have to say I was a little bit nervous before the race, We've seen some kind of brilliant additions of the road races, both at the kind of senior and junior and under 23 levels. And I was, I guess I was just hoping for more of the same for the women today. And I I don't think they disappointed. They certainly didn't. I mean, the final day of the Super Worlds, isn't it? The closing ceremony, if you like. I mean, in terms of entertainment, the women's race served up certainly equaled I would say exceeded the men's race in terms of the kind of the variety the 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 nuance the the suspense I mean last week was like a sort of heavyweight world title fight uh, this was like a heavyweight world title fight with no rules whatsoever I mean it was just a slugfest really from about 75 kilometers to go I won't try to uh, recap every significant event in the race in my summary of the, uh, the the race for the rainbow jersey, but it set off from Loch Lomond and finished again in Glasgow, a circuit that we now know an awful lot better than we did a week ago. A couple of notable non-starters, Chloe Digert of the USA, the new world time trial champion, and Kasia Nuvodoma, uh, one of Poland's big riders, both out with respiratory infections. Uh, but the race got underway and there was quite a significant move after about 20 kilometres, which had Lizzie Dignan and Elise Shabby in it. More of them later. They had about a minute as they were approaching the Crow Road but they were caught on the run-in towards Glasgow. And that's where the peloton split into two for this uh, strange uh, period. Uh, Lorena Rebus and Mariana Voss were caught in the back group. Uh, Rebus eventually pulled out of the race on the circuit. And as they approached Glasgow, Kim Cadzo of New Zealand attacked, and she was then caught significantly again by Elise Shabby, Lotta Kopecky, Liana Lippert, Demi Vollering, Grace Brown, Sylvia Persico and Anna Henderson. There was then an attack by Elise Shabby of Switzerland with 74 kilometres to go and she quickly gained 30 seconds and in fact was away for almost 60 kilometres on her own and she was caught just before they reached the finish line with the bell signalling one lap to go. At one point the gap was up to around 1 minute 25. It never got a lot more than that. And it kind of yo-yoed back and and forth, uh, down to sort of 30 seconds, down to a tantalising sort of 12 or 13 seconds at one point as the race kicked off behind. And it was really those final 35 kilometres where the sort-out took place in earnest. 
As you'd expect, Annemiek van Vluten, the defending champion, was involved. She'd in fact been off the back by more than a minute at one point after a front wheel puncture, slow wheel change and then a bike change. But she got herself up to the front again and started the aggression. And ironically, it was Shabby's Swiss teammate, Marlon Reusser, who contributed significantly to the shake-up, going very hard up Montrose Street. And that's basically sorted things out down to this chase group of Demi Vollering and Annemiek van Vluten for the Netherlands, Lotte Kopecky of Belgium. Reusser was in there just marking things for Switzerland. Lizzie Dignan of Great Britain, Cecily Utrup Ludwig of Denmark and Christina Schweinberger. And then the final lap was pure gold, wasn't it? Dignan ghosted away at one point with Schweinberger. Then Reusser and Kopecky went across to make it a front four. And then we had the ding-dong battle between Vollering and Kopecky. They were trading blows. Esty works teammates, of course, but on opposite sides in the World Championships. Vollering was off, you know, the back, trying to chase down Kopecky at one point. Looked like she couldn't close the gap. And then all of a sudden she was up at the front again. And then she had cramp and she had her left foot out of the pedal, shaking her leg. I mean, it was an extraordinary final lap. And then the denouement was kicked off by Cecily Utrip Ludwig of Denmark. She went clear on her own. And behind, Kopecky and Vollering went toe-to-toe. And in the end, a very worthy world champion, Lotte Kopecky of Belgium, winning the gold medal. And Vollering pipping Ludwig on the line for the silver. But what a shakedown. And I wonder, having been at the Tour de France fam, Denny, was this kind of what you were expecting, this battle between Kopecky and Vollering? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was definitely building towards this. And we saw what just unbelievable good form uh, Lotte Kopecky was in during the, the Tour not only, I mean, we knew how good she was and what a great season she was having, of course, but to hold the yellow jersey for so long, to perform so brilliantly on the Col de Tourmalet against all expectations, uh, to win the green jersey and, of course, a stage, and then finish second on GC after a phenomenal time trial on the last stage, we knew she was in the form of her life. And, of course, Damie Vollering, a teammate, won, won the Tour. And I think it was going to be difficult to look past those two, really, as the certainly they were amongst the front runners, I think Kopecky was the outstanding favourite coming into the race, uh, and, and of course was carrying a lot of pressure as a result. But you know the thing for me that kind of stood out was the fact that she then went and did the track this week, <laughs> won two world titles on the track, the elimination race and the points race. Uh, also did the Madison, and and so there was a bit of a question mark coming in to the race about kind of how fresh she might be. Clearly, she answered those those questions uh, throughout the race. And the outstanding one-day rider, really, Lotta Kopecky, isn't she? I mean, she won the Tour of Flanders early this season. Of course, Vollering and Kopecky went head-to-head in Strada Bianca way back in March, didn't they, where you couldn't really split them on the line. And I suppose uh, Kopecky's thinking was that she needed to get out of that group and get Vollering off her wheel otherwise she might be vulnerable to something similar happening and we did see didn't we the frustration uh, for Kopecky because she was aggressive she must have tried half a dozen times to try and whittle that group down a bit obviously she was the rider that everybody wanted to mark and there wasn't a, a great deal of willingness to to work with her and of course from behind the 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 onus and the emphasis was on uh, Demi Vollering to just sort of close that gap down. So it did look like they were going to sort of nullify each other and perhaps, you know, rule themselves and each other out of contention at one point, especially when Ludwig went away. It looked like 
potentially uh, they might have cost themselves, but it wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, they were attacking each other and attacking the group repeatedly. It was it was quite you know breathtaking stuff for, as I say, those last three laps of the circuit in Glasgow. Yeah, I mean, there was some really fearless racing, wasn't wasn't there? And a lot of the riders showed that they weren't afraid to lose the race by attacking, which is always great to, to watch. I think the thing with Kopecky was that she, I mean, she said in the, her post-race interview that she was quite calm going into the into the race. She wasn't nervous. I think there was a bike change for her 109 kilometres out, uh, but she calmly went back, changed, changed bikes, rode away back into the peloton during a kind of lull in proceedings and uh, looked very calm. But then... As the attacking started on the circuits, she quickly only had one teammate, uh, Justin uh, Kakia, I think is the right way to pronounce it. She had to kind of do a lot of work to chase down moves and she kind of picked her moments when she wanted to close down moves as a, a move from Anna Henderson that she closed down, for example. I, I was beginning to wonder whether she was kind of being kind of forced to do a little bit too much work while well, the teams had had the numbers you know the Italians the Dutch the GB team I think uh, made a note of 45 to K to go they they had kind of four or five each whereas the Belgians only had two including Capecchi but she kind of managed that kind of tightrope walk of trying to make sure none of her kind of key rivals got away but also conserve enough energy to, to wait for the right moments uh, really really well I was you know really impressed although of course, then Shabby's attack kind of eked out, the gap eked out further and further. And as you said, Lionel, at one point it got to nearly to a minute 30. And I think then Lippert was saying she was getting a bit nervous. And I think at that moment, we weren't quite sure whether Shabby might actually be allowed to get away and, and stay away because she's, she's certainly a strong, punchy rider that can suit a, a course like that. A lot was made of the circuit and and you know the the technical nature of it, the the number of accelerations required. Really, it's a sort of sprint every thirty seconds. Uh, I mean, there is obviously that little bit of micro recovery, as as people describe it, going into the corners. But um, it's a circuit that 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 just saps away, saps away, but does also play into the hands of one committed rider out in front. I mean, we saw that with Matthew van der Poel in the men's race, obviously not for anything like as long out in front. But Elise Shabby, when she was out in front, you know, a, a punchy, explosive rider, more of a climber, really, um, the, the circuit was definitely playing into her hands and just keeping that gap steady, um, even when, you know, the, the aggression was kicking off behind and it was coming down, the fact that they weren't closing up to her was, for a while, it did look like, well, if she can get another 10 kilometres here down the road, it might start to look like the, the pendulum might swing in her favour. An extraordinary ride by her, and especially, you know, the Swiss playing it very well with Marlon Reusser in uh, the group behind. She really had a free ride, didn't she? And, uh, you know, quite a turnaround. What a, a remarkable week it's been for Royce. I mean, she, am I right in saying she crashed in the mixed relay, didn't, didn't she, which Switzerland won? Then, of course, she pulled out of the time trial after or between the first time check and the second time check, citing uh, mental burnout. And then here she is in the thick of things and in the end, fourth in the road race at the World Championships. Quite an extraordinary up and down week for Marlon Royster. But I just wanted to say about uh, Lotte Kopecky because she has been the most outstanding one-day rider of the season, really. But it was that Tour de France fan performance that uh, really sort of elevated her from being, and I'm using air quotes here, just a one-day rider because it was a fantastic week. She had all that time in the yellow jersey. As you say, she dug deep, 
on the Tourmalet stage and then clawed herself back up to second, uh, well, by fraction, a fraction of a second, wasn't it, uh, overall in the time trial in Poe. As you say, she's won world titles already this week. But do you know when the last Belgian winner of the women's road race at the World Championships was? Because I was surprised how far you have to go back. Yeah, no, 1973. I was amazed as well looking at the records. It's hard to believe, isn't it? You know, we get used to Belgium being so dominant in road racing generally. But uh, on the women's side, it's not been the case as much. The kind of the Netherlands are kind of the dominant nation. At least they have been in the last few years. And um, so it would be big news back, back, back home in Belgium, I'm sure. Absolutely. It was Nicole Vandenbroek in 1973. So 50 years since the last Belgian won the women's road race at the World Championships. But uh, Glasgow, as I say, served up a very worthy World Championship winner for the second Sunday in a row. And we'll talk a bit more about it in a moment. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. When they finally caught Elise Shabby, uh, Denny, I did wonder whether she would just get dropped immediately, but she hung in there, didn't she, for an impressive seventh-place finish. And it was notable that she was involved in that first move that went clear after around 20 kilometers. And then she was involved in the move that went clear as they were coming into Glasgow. And then, of course, you know, 60 kilometers off the front on her own uh, really was ride of the day by Shabby, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a it was a fantastic ride. She said in her post race interview that you know, coming into the circuit, uh, you know, having had been on the attack with with Lizzie Digner, as you said earlier on in the day, she wasn't feeling completely fresh. And she had a chat with her teammate Marlon Royzer, who said she was feeling good. And I think that kind of basically led to her decision to kind of put in a dig, you know, to to help Royzer uh, behind. And it's the kind of move for a rider like that that can that can really pay off, can't it? We, we've seen it we've seen it before where it only takes kind of indecision and kind of a lack of coordination behind for, for a gap to open up very quickly. And uh, as we said earlier, it looked like it might, to stay out alone for 60 kilometres, even on a circuit like that, even though it, that does kind of favour a break, I think it was a phenomenal performance given the strength behind her. Hats off to her, definitely one of, if not the, the ride of the day. Well, it's a competitive old field, isn't it, for ride of the day? Uh, Shabby was also part of the Swiss mixed relay rainbow jersey winners earlier in the week. Uh, but what about the Dutch then? Because Demi Vollering and the defending champion Annemiek van Vluten, I mean, it was pretty clear from relatively early in the race that Vollering was the number one protected rider and that Van Vluten was going to try and ride in service of Vollering. But there were moments, weren't they? I mean, Van Vluten found herself in this position where she was out the back of the main group of favourites, having had a front wheel puncture. As I said, the slow wheel change and then a bike change cost her a lot of time, but she fought her way back. And, and then in typical Annemiek Van Vluten style was suddenly on the aggression, on the front foot again. Vollering was clearly trying to bide her time and was 
I guess, worried about uh, Lotte Kopecky. But the pair of them, they did try to whittle that group down uh, earlier on, but it just didn't quite pan out for them. Every time there was an opportunity to get a little bit of a gap, there was that hesitation or the chase come from, came from behind, which I suppose is testimony to the sort of strength of the of the group rather than the, the, the weakness of the riders that were trying to get away. Because as I say, it was just a... It was just a slog, wasn't it? It was just one thing after another. Vollering almost pulled it off, really, but she perhaps paid for the, the, the big effort she made when it did look for a moment like she didn't have anything left in the tank. She was left on that, that little group with uh, Ludwig on her wheel. No one was going to give her a turn, but she got herself back across, probably paid a little bit for that effort when Kopecky, who you know hadn't had to do quite as much on the defensive, even though she was a lone rider for Belgium from, you know, quite a long way out. It was quite interesting how those tactics all played out, wasn't it? It was really, really interesting. And it was always going to be a tricky one for the Dutch because although they had the numbers, they didn't really have a, a finisher in the way that Belgium had Kopecky. Perhaps it's a bit unfair not to call Van Vluten and uh, following finishers, but they haven't got the kind of sprint that Kopecky and, and some of the others had. So they, they, were, they were always going to have to find a, a different way to win. And... For a while, I thought they were playing kind of the SD Works card, not doing much work at all. Shabby was kind of busy kind of eking out her advantage and didn't feel like the Dutch were contributing a lot to the to a chase. They, they, occasionally, there would be an attack. I think Rihanna Marcus went off the front, uh, for example. But I think it was about 40k to go that they suddenly had some riders on the front. And then that's when the gap started coming down. And then shortly after that, there was a, the succession of attacks, which kind of led to this kind of group of six or seven at the, fr- at the front behind Shabby. And then, as you say, it was all about the kind of dynamic between Van Vluten and uh, Vollering. I know there was some suggestion on the TV commentary that perhaps Van Vluten was, was kind of playing it kind of sneakily, trying to perhaps engineer a, a situation where she could get away and, and, and get a win. But I think that was a little bit unfair. I think she, as you say, Lionel, she put an enormous effort just to get back into uh, the lead group at one stage after a mechanical she, she was on the front uh, trying to chase things down and she was playing the, the card of kind of playing the, the counter-attack. She forced Kopecky to do a lot of work in chasing down her counter-attack. So, and I think at, towards the end, she just didn't have the legs to put in more effort than she did. I think on the climb, she seemed to be the one kind of clinging on at the back. So despite kind of all the, the kind of history between Vollering and, and Van Vluten and the confrontation, perhaps that's too strong a word, that the two had during... Uh, Stage seven on the tall fan when neither would agree to work with each other when Nevia Dome was ahead. I think, um, I think Annemiek van Vluten put in a brilliant uh, teammate's effort and she should be applauded for her ride. Yeah, and and Vollering was left, you know, in that situation where no one was going to give her a turn, were they? I mean, I don't want to over egg the kind of the SD works factor here, but they do have a reputation for letting other teams do quite a bit of the work and then profiting at the end there was certainly no one prepared to give Vollering a turn when it really mattered and credit to her that you know she managed to well it looked like she was turning herself inside out to get back across and she dragged uh, Ludwig and others back up to the front in itself an impressive ride but but at that stage one out slightly out of desperation because it, it looked like Kopecky was riding away with it but just before that you know, I did wonder whether the, the Diagnant-Schweinberger move was going to upset the apple, apple cart a bit because they did the classic thing, didn't they? They they waited for it to all come back together and then just ghosted away. I mean, it was 
it was the sort of the the classic um, diamond thief, as Daniel described Dylan Bambala once. You know, the the move that nobody really realised was happening until it was too late, and that was what really forced uh, first Royce and then Capecchi to to go across. And 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 maybe that played into Capecchi's hands because it finally gave her something to kind of ride against. You know, ride off rather than having to make the racing all herself at the front. It was, um, you know, quite an important phase of the race on that last lap. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And as you say, kind of following, put in that massive effort to catch Diagnan, Royser, Kopecki, then had that the cramp. And, uh, you know, and actually you kind of left to wonder what would have happened if she didn't have the cramp. I mean, it's part of sport and it's part of the effort she put in and, and part of the attritional nature of the race. But I felt that kind of pr- probably hampered her in the last kind of 8K or so when... Uh, when she was then trying to chase Kopecky later. I think that just underlines what a how well Kopecky played it because she she was quite reactive, wasn't she? She as you say, she the move by Diagonan and Schweinberger, when they ghosted away, then as you say, prompted her to kind of chase after that, which then Vollering was forced to chase. And again, a bit later on, it was uh, Ludwig's attack that Kopecky then countered and um, which led to Kopecky then then kind of riding away. So she she used kind of the race, the way it was playing out really well. She didn't, she you know, she was able to kind of read what was happening and and, and she clearly had the legs as well. You know, I think she she proved that she was the strongest rider on, on the race. And I think that course has shown time and time again that, you know, the cream does rise to the top on that course, which is what you want from a, from world championships. Absolutely. And um, well, Belgian cream is more of a sort of gravy, I think, actually. The, gra- <laughs> the gravy rose to the top, didn't it? Um, no, it was it was very impressive. I mean, I did wonder when she was kind of, you know, gesturing and, and, and she did a dramatic pull off the front where no one else would, would roll through. I wonder whether that might play against her. But I mean, it wasn't like she was, you know, giving away the fact she was frustrated or giving away the fact that she was strong. Everybody knew she was strong. Everybody knew she'd be the the fastest at the finish. But she obviously didn't want to leave it to chance and go into the finish with even a couple of riders for company just in case. Because at the end of such a, well, an, an aggressive race, an unpredictable race, you know, anything could have happened on, on that, uh, that final sprint, couldn't it? As we saw with uh, Ludwig getting pipped on the line by Vollering. Marlon Royster rode, you know, a perfect kind of teammates race and perhaps didn't have the, uh, the, the legs to really capitalise because, you know, conventionally speaking, uh, she would have, you know, gone hard as soon as Shabby was caught, you would have thought. But, given what she went through in the week, quite a turnaround for her. Yeah, I was really, really impressed with her ride. She came in for lots of criticism uh, on social media for kind of pulling out of the ITT midway through, which I felt was very unfair. I was kind of really, I really admired the fact that she was very open about her reasons for pulling out. Most riders may have just blamed it on tummy trouble or something similar but she was open and honest about where she was at and you know not being a professional athlete myself unfortunately I can't imagine the pressure someone like that has to deal with and she was she was the favorite going going into that ITT and to come back despite kind of having that backlash uh, today and put in a ride like that was well just to be on the start line was remarkable and then to put in a performance like that is just only to be applauded and I think um, yeah I hope she now is able to get there the kind of help and support she needs uh, in kind of overcoming kind of the burnout and the mental health issues she's 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 kind of admitted to facing. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Denny. I think there's also a bit of a misunderstanding about the sort of the ebb and flow of uh, you know when when she was talking about mental burnout. You know, as as if 
you you can't experience you know sort of I guess highs and lows I mean uh, as you say it was brave of her to um, talk about the, the the real reason for pulling out of the the time trial and I mean it's her prerogative as an athlete you know if she's for whatever reason if she thinks no this is not going to do me any good in the medium term maybe she was thinking i've got the road race on sunday and i don't want to you know ride myself into a cul-de-sac here i'm gonna just uh you know cut my losses and, and try and refocus and salvage something on sunday and she certainly she certainly did that um what about the british performance because you know it looked like they really had it nailed didn't they i mean anna henderson did a lot of work early on. She was in a couple of those moves, uh, the important moves before they reached a circuit and then once they were on the circuit. And then she had that crash on the left-hand turn with around 50 kilometres to go, uh, which kind of ruled her out of the end game. Great Britain did also have Pfeiffer Georgie in there as well. And I suppose, you know, when you look at the profile of that course, you think, well, decent chance for sprinters. But um, and we, I mean, you know that Pfeiffer Georgie is more than just a sprinter, but you know, a, a very hard course unless you make those selections. And uh, well, it was Lizzie Diagonan who made the selection, a, a really uh, gutsy um, performance based, I would say, as much on her experience and know how and knowledge of, of racing and herself. I mean, she must have felt like she was back at the Otley Crit at some points. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that kind of racing is a. Uh served her in good stead and uh yeah it did feel like a ride uh based on her experience but i think also you know she's over the years she's shown herself as uh very good at kind of preparing herself for a one day event and kind of excelling you know she's risen her way back into kind of race sharpness this year kind of she rode the Girodone and then she rode the tall fam and although she she played mostly a, a team role there she wasn't really didn't really have any opportunities or well, certainly she wasn't going for opportunities herself in those races you know, I wonder how much she was trying to build herself towards these worlds, knowing they were in Glasgow and, and knowing that it might be a course where she could, she, you know, she, she could pull something off. As you say, a very smart ride, smart the way she drifted off at the end, that showed a lot of experience. At one stage earlier on, when Anna Henderson was away, she was, I could see her kind of interfering with the chase. She played it and other times she seemed, seemed to be uh, kind of shepherding Anna Shackley, who was obviously going for the under 23 title. So I felt all round it was a, just a brilliant performance, not just from a, a, her own perspective, kind of finishing sixth in the end, which is a, a fantastic result in itself, but also just in terms of being a great team player and a great kind of road captain. Yeah, you mentioned the under-23 title. That actually went to Blanca Vass of Hungary, didn't it? And I think Shirin van Anroy of the Netherlands was second and Anna Shackley was third. Uh, they were all in that kind of uh, second big group, weren't they, behind the behind the leaders? Well, one thing that's for certain is that there is a worthy winner of the race and someone who will show the rainbow jersey off uh, just as prominently as Annemiek van Vluten has done over the, the past 12 months. Lotte Kopecky will uh, go into all of those classics in the rainbow jersey next season. And I mean, it just continues her development into one of the best all-round riders in the world. As you say, you know, her Tour de France fam performance was exceptional because well we expected something in the first half of the race but it was the way that she clung on and scrapped and fought to get that second place on territory that we wouldn't really have thought was her uh, kind of um, ideal ground and of course you know medals on the track as well she really is probably pound for pound the most complete all-round rider in the world at the moment yeah absolutely I mean I think she kind of deserves genuine superstar status 
in women's and just cycling gen generally, I think, at the moment. Uh, I hope she gets the attention she deserves in, uh, in Belgium to, you know, I'm really looking forward to how she develops over the next few years because she's one of those riders that, as you say, just can seem to win on all sorts of terrain. I think the, I guess the challenge will be potentially what kind of rider she wants to be in the future. As you said, right, uh, Lionel, she's clearly uh, a consummate one-day rider, uh, superb on the track as well. But of course, with her tour fam result where she was second, I guess she may have that niggling desire now to test herself out at a G on, you know, at, in the Grand Tours and, and see how she can do on, on GC2. And I think that's where it can get tricky for some riders. You know, you need to kind of commit to that. Uh, I think in women's cycling now, we're seeing more and more that you do need to be a specialist to some extent to really excel in certain types of races. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where she takes it, but she's been a joy to watch all year. It'll be interesting to see how it now pans out also from a team perspective. SD Works have been the dominant team they were the dominant team today even though they weren't kind of riding as a team they finished first second fourth and they won the under 23 title SD Works have a little bit of a challenge there as well just to make sure that both Kopecky and Vollering can be happy well that's that's a very good point I mean it doesn't do an awful lot to kind of sort out the pecking order at SD Works does it I mean uh, they they're you know very little to split them uh, it's certainly in the classic races we, we, we're going to see that same kind of soap opera again aren't we I would suspect maybe the rainbow bands will be the sort of clinching factor uh, when it comes to some of the races where they are so evenly matched we will have to wait and see anything else Denny before we wrap up any other talking points from the race today well it was two races really wasn't it <laughs> well yeah I mean that was uh, I think the, the frustrating thing from a uh, point of view of, of a viewer you know there was an under 23 race going on the UCI finally gave in and uh, said there could be an under 23 title for women uh, at last year's world championships and uh, but of course it's a race within a race and it's not a satisfactory way to decide the winner of a race going into the race I think pe people were wondering who was actually going for that title you know you knew riders like Blanca Vass she was one of only two riders in for the Hungarian team. Some of the Kiwis uh, like Ella Wiley and Ella, Ali Wollaston might be going for the under-23 title. But then you also had a rider like Shirin Van Anroy, who, a brilliant rider in herself, finished 13th in the end. But she said before the race that she wasn't allowed to think about it. You know, it was all in for, for Damie Vollering. And it kind of, it makes a bit of a mockery, I think, of having an under-23 title when riders are kind of have these kind of split loyalties. You know, they, they may be wanting to win something for themselves but clearly also they've got their 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 team duties and they need to, to kind of play to team orders you know even Blanca Vass who was obviously very pleased to, to to win the under 23 title in the end said it it didn't feel like winning you know she couldn't put her hands up in the air uh, and cross the line uh, first you know I know the UCI have said that they will move to having a separate race in, by 2025 it's a shame it can't be sooner really because uh, it just uh, for me, anyway, Lionel, it just kind of undermines the point of having an under-23 title if uh, riders aren't, can't race to win it. Yeah, I guess the issue is that there isn't an under-23 women's category at elite level, is there? So unlike with the men, so I suppose it, there is a kind of a, a journey that the UCI is on here, um, getting to a point where uh, there are enough under-23 riders who would want to do an under-23 race because obviously uh, most of the best under-23 riders are eligible for and able to race in the elite 
uh, road race. So I, I suppose it's uh, moving towards a position where uh, maybe there will be an under 23 uh, category and, and events, you know, spread across the season. But at the moment, there probably isn't, uh, um, there probably isn't, uh, another solution but it is an unsatisfactory one at the moment because as you say you know it was sort of in the back of our minds wasn't it but even you know Anna Shackley if there's work to be done for um, Lizzie Dignan or Anna Henderson or Pfeiffer Georgie well that would take priority over her own ambitions so yeah a, a tricky one but Blanca Vass will be the under 23 world champion and will have an, an under 23 rainbow jersey in her collection um Denny, we should wrap it up there. Uh, thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. Uh, I think, did the B team do okay? C team, maybe? I don't know. Let the let the listeners decide on, on that one, maybe. Of course, um, the Cycling Podcast Feminine will be back in due course. And Denny, hopefully you will be back on the Cycling Podcast. Well, I know you'll be back on the Cycling Podcast at some point in the not-too-distant future. But thank you very much for joining me this afternoon. No, thanks for having me, Lionel. Absolute pleasure. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.